Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Saltonite Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be bringing out some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2022. We begin with a conversation that I had with Father Cristino Bouvet, who is Cree and Métis on his father's side and Italian on his mother's. We spoke about the indigenous delegation that traveled to Rome in March 2022. And then we reconnect with singer-songwriter Mike Boucher, who has been doing work with the marriage apostolate, Retrouvai. In our second half hour, Graydon Nicholas gives us his impressions of the Pope's first apology to indigenous peoples in Rome on April 1st. Graydon Nicholas is First Nations and Catholic, and he is also former lieutenant governor of New Brunswick. We end our program today by reconnecting with Marie Miller, who released several singles this year. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at eselmedia.org slash podcast. You can reach me by email, pedro at eselmedia.org. You can also reach me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. We begin now with Father Cristino Bouvet and the indigenous delegation to Rome. As you know, next week, Canadian bishops will be in Rome with a delegation of residential school survivors, elders, knowledge keepers, and indigenous youth meeting with Pope Francis. This is an initiative that has been in the works for several years now. To get a unique perspective, last week I spoke with Father Cristino Bouvet. On his father's side, Father Cristino, from the Diocese of Calgary, Alberta, is of Cree and Métis heritage. Father Cristino, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Deacon, thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's good to be with you. It is good to be with you. So uh, for people who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about who is Father Cristino Bouvet? Well, I'm a Catholic priest of the Diocese of Calgary. I was ordained just under 10 years ago, right here in the city of Calgary, though I was raised in southeastern Alberta in a small city called Medicine Hat. Mm -hmm. And so I uh, had all my uh, childhood experiences there, though my family hails from uh, all over central and southern Alberta, where my father was raised. And it is on his side that I actually have Indigenous heritage through my Cree grandmother, who is a residential school survivor herself, and my Métis grandfather. And did you grow up with with that identity kind of being part of the family? Or was that something that was not something that was that apparent growing up? I would say that it did not feature as predominantly as my Italian heritage on my mother's side. Mm-hmm. And the reason being for that, I think, is my mother stayed at home with us. My father worked. Uh, she grew up speaking Italian. She didn't even speak English on her first day of school in Canada. Hmm. Uh, she knew how to cook Italian food. Her parents, my nonna and nonno, lived around the corner from us, and I grew up there all the time. So naturally, that was a, a very predominant feature in my mm-hmm. cultural heritage and background. Uh, but as I continued to grow and get older, and especially I was probably on the tail end or not the tail end, but the beginning of uh, Indigenous culture being introduced into our curriculum and public education. Okay. As that started to become more and more the case, I was also made more and more aware that that was part of who I was as well. But it wasn't until I was much older, uh, preparing to enter the seminary, and then even after I was ordained a priest, that I really uh, dug into learning more about my heritage uh, from my Kokum herself. Kokum is the Cree word for grandmother. And so I spent a lot of time with her, uh, learning more about that part of our history and learning about her history as having been a residential school student. 
right? Did you struggle? Like, how was that conversation with your kokum when you told her that you were going go, get, going into seminary? It's interesting because it happened in kind of two stages. Uh, first of all, there was the situation that when I went to the seminary, I just expected that my very devout Christian grandmother was going to love this and be very supportive of it, which right. she was. I didn't think anything twice about that. But it was only from in the seminary, as I began learning a little bit more of Canadian church history, and I became aware, as I unfortunately, shamefully, I was not yet aware, mm -hmm. just how integrated the residential school system was in the Catholic uh, hierarchy and institution of the church in Canada. Once I became aware of that affiliation, I had a bit of a second thought. And probably after my second year, I sat down with Copen once when we were, we were peeling potatoes together and mm -hmm. helping get uh, supper ready up at the farm. So I asked her if it, if it upset her or burdened her to imagine that her grandson might become a Catholic priest, given the Catholic church's affiliation with the residential school system and knowing that she suffered in it. Uh, but she was remarkably gracious and just said, no, I've known many good nuns and priests and I know you would be one of those. Yeah. So she was there front row of my ordination, sitting right beside my nonna, my two grandmothers, <laughs> and they were on cloud nine, just beaming to see their grandson become a priest. So as you learn more about the legacy of the residential school system, um, as now an ordained priest, how, how do you... How do you reconcile the, that history and, and what the church really is, the church that you have gotten to know as a priest? Mm -hmm. Well, I, first of all, look to the example of my Kokum, who I think, uh, you know, Catholicism is very incarnational, right? And mm -hmm. so I think she was, in a way, an incarnation of what reconciliation looks like, because she reconciled many things in herself. Uh, but she did so by the power of Christ and the faith that she had in him. And so to know that she found it within herself to experience reconciliation on many fronts, it, it assured me that I would be able to do the same. Mm -hmm. And so what I have tried to do is recognize that, at least through Catholic sacramental theology and tradition, my identity as a priest is one as being a man of reconciliation. That is what we are meant to do as Christ reconciled all of humanity to the father. And we as priests stand in the person of Christ. My ministry is one of reconciliation in general. Mm -hmm. uh, then to see that the parts of the church's history through, through error or imprudence or just sheer evil in some instances were contrary to the church's mission then that needs to also find a way to be reconciled. And mm -hmm. it can only be reconciled by humbly acknowledging what wrong needs to be acknowledged, but then unequivocally committing to making it right. And so there's nothing I can do to fix everything on the, the broad spectrum where there continues to be pain and division or scandal, but I can make sure that I am contributing towards the reconciliation that Christ came to bring us all. And if I can do that, it requires that that reconciliation has happened first in me. And so right. I really do embrace my identities as both a man of indigenous heritage and a Catholic priest, because if Kokum can show me that she can be a devout Christian woman who has no ax to grind against the church later in her life, 
I can be a Catholic priest uh, and not be a contrary to or opposing my indigenous mm. heritage. In that, in that journey of reconciliation, because it is a journey, how important is it that indigenous people travel to Rome to speak with the Holy Father? I think that uh, I've always been careful to say that when we talk about indigenous people, we always have to remember that we are describing a collective identity with something that does bring them together, mm-hmm. but that we are talking about individuals as well. And mm-hmm. so there are some individuals for whom they would say that they don't need this. Some who would say they feel they've already received what the church has to offer and that this isn't anything new to them. Mm-hmm. Like Kokum was one of those people. Uh, she. Right. She wasn't waiting in her lifetime. She only died in 2019. She wasn't expecting an apology from the Pope. We had a long conversation about that one time. Yeah. But there are others who feel that they haven't had the reconciliation that they need. And this encounter will be emblematic of a chapter closing for them personally. Uh, But what we have to remember is that as individuals, that, that, capacity to move forward to choose to forgive to accept uh, the extension of uh, the side of the church towards reconciliation will have to be their individual choice Mm -hmm. um i love that you said that you're a priest of reconciliation and i think that every priest should have that attitude i mean for us reconciliation is a sacrament um we don't usually think of apology as part of that reconciliation as a sacrament but in this context, context, it seems that apology is important. How important is it that there's an apology from the Holy Father? I think that for those who are, have certainly been waiting to hear one, when they receive it, it must be for them what they consider to be the first step in them being able to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so if there remains an obstacle for those who either did not personally hear or experience the formulations of what we might call the expressions of sorrow, if we don't want to call them apologies of both Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI in the past, mm-hmm. then perhaps on this instance, it will, it will suffice for that for them. Uh, but I also, I also don't feel comfortable insisting that there is only one way forward for everybody to experience reconciliation because I know that there are different places along the journey where other people already are, who without an apology as it's potentially going to be formulated by Pope Francis, have already arrived there, either Mm -hmm. because of the previous apologies that we have heard from just the Canadian bishops, from the Oblate Order, from Popes John Paul II and Benedict XVI. Mm -hmm. But for those for whom this one would or could be that, that step to help them move in that direction for their own healing and freedom and peace, then I think we can welcome that and await to see what the Holy Father has to offer. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are going to be watching Rome next week. Um, and you're right, maybe it is up to the church to do whatever we need to do to make sure that everyone can be reconciled in whatever way they need to. Um, Father Cristino, thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us today. It's an honor. Thank you for having me on. Father Cristino Bouvet is a priest in the Diocese of Calgary, Alberta. You can learn more about all these issues and watch Salt and Light Media's coverage of the meetings between the Indigenous delegation and Pope Francis on our television network and online at esselmedia.org. 
Here now is Mike Boucher with his single, Set Me Free.
That was Mike Boucher with his single, Set Me Free. Now, we first met Mike Boucher in November 2020 and learned that he's been doing music for almost 20 years now. Mike and his band play everywhere from backyard barbecues to massive events. Recently, Mike has been connected with the Retrovie program, providing music for their weekends, and he has been recording some of his songs, so it's a good excuse to get him back on the show. Mike, so good to see you, my brother. Welcome back to the Sultanite Hour. Thank you, Nico Pedro. It's great to be here with you. So uh, I, I know that the last couple of years have been really tough on musicians. Um, what was it like for you? Uh, desolate and oh. um, <laughs> uninspirational. Uh, <laughs> so there was a part of me that just sort of spiraled into a sort of a deep depression. Uh, just because there was no music anywhere here in, in Boston. So, um, but it forced me to look back inside and say, okay, I have these songs that I've written and I really need to go forward with getting them out because they're doing no good sitting in my computer. Mm -hmm. um, so we just, I made a conscious attempt to get with the right people. And uh, we spent most of 2020 and 2021 in the studio putting together all of these tracks and um, making them sound great. Yeah. And they do sound great. Uh, um, I want to go back to what you said about just sort of being desolate and you, you had these songs already written. So, so it was not a time for you that, that felt creative, that new music or new songs were coming out. Um, there's always times for new songs as you're always uh, getting inspiration from different places, but with so much pressure and so much stress, I think it, it really kind of took a lot out of me as far as being able to be creative. And it wasn't until I forced myself to look at uh, some creative outlets. Like one way I was our pastor allowed me to use the basement of the church as long as I was alone. Mm -hmm. And I did live streams of just music so that I could still connect with people through, um, the internet. Right. And so uh, it was fun. You know, it, it, it got me through that time where I just wasn't performing in front of people. So that was great. Uh, loved that. And then I started thinking about uh, the album. I started thinking about the songs and I think, you know, I, I don't know any artists who won't tell you that are a little bit apprehensive about getting their art out because, you know, you face criticism and mm -hmm. uh, maybe they, maybe somebody won't like it or, so, and for me, this is my first time going through this. So I was really apprehensive about kind of going forward. And since I had the professional music career and I was doing covers and working in bars and restaurants, I didn't really have to sort I didn't have to address that at all. Mm -hmm. and, and I just put those songs away and said, yeah, I'll get to it someday. Well, then when all of the, when all the COVID happened and, and everything shut down, it really forced me to look at that and said, you know what? I, I need to get those songs out there. I need to get that work out there. Uh, and, and it forced me to kind of take a look at it and say, yes, um, I got to get into the studio with my friends and we've got we've to get this music out. Mm -hmm. Now, something else that happened for you is that you got connected with or involved with the Retrovi uh, program. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Uh, about 2019, 2020, uh, my wife and I had just got to a point where we were about a thousand miles apart and uh, we were looking at getting a divorce and 
you know, we, we both have very deep faith and we started to look around at other options besides going down that direction. Mm-hmm. And a good friend of mine had gone through the retrovite program and he suggested it. So uh, we signed up and we're on uh, our weekend in 2020 during COVID. Yeah. And it was weird because in a typical retreat, everybody's on site, but in this particular retreat, some were on site and some were on video. So that was kind of weird to get through that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we had to wear masks all the time. So it was, uh, it was definitely different. But one of the things that the Retrofit community really liked was that I was a musician. And, you know, sometimes music gets in the way of relationship. So um, I have always, you know, when, it, when, the, when I was trying to go through the process of getting into this retreat, I really wanted to just to be Mara and I and working mm-hmm. on that, uh, working on the relationship and, and uh, learning about the retrovite process. And I didn't want to have anything to do with music. And she suggested it while we were on our weekend. She's like, you should volunteer time to do uh, mass. And I did. And they liked it so much. They decided to invite me back for the next weekend and next weekend. And now uh, for Retrovite New England, I'm their um, music director. So mm-hmm. now I've just signed on to every single retreat. And instead of doing what they were for, they were just doing uh, uh, recorded music. Um, now I do the live versions of the music for the retreat. And I'll do all the mass, uh, the mass parts for, uh, for mass and, right. uh, and then any of the supportive music that goes with the retreat. That's wonderful. Cause I, I, I do know these weekends are just not the same with recorded music. What a difference it makes, but I know that they can't always afford to have a, a, a live musician. Um, I'm a big fan of Retrovi. When you told me about it, I thought we, we need to tell people there's so many people that, that are hurting in their marriages um, and they don't know this wonderful program this i think is one of the best kept secrets of the church um uh, can i ask you how things are with you and mora now um things are getting better um we don't see divorce as the answer anymore uh and we see and now i'm only speaking for myself not for for her but i see a future yeah. and she sees a future because that's what she's told me so uh, but, but it's work. I and mean, just like any other relationship, it takes a lot of work. But mm-hmm. the tools of Retrovi are very much uh, communication based. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you need to do every day is you need to write. Um, and it's usually a question. And they, they call it 10 and 10. So uh, 10 minutes of writing, answering the question, and then 10 minutes of dialogue on that particular question. And it just gets you in the right frame of mind to address your spouse's feelings mm-hmm. and, you know, feelings are never wrong. That's one of the, the, the terms that we learn at Retrovi feelings are never wrong. So when you can start where feelings are never wrong, you can really address more of the deeper issues that go with those feelings. If you know how your spouse feels about something and you can acknowledge that feeling, it certainly lifts up your spouse and then it gives you a nice, nice stable platform to work on the rest of the, the issue. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. Um, uh, so I do recommend it. I mean, I, I, I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think 
about 99.9% of couples that I know that have gone through retrovi, it's, it's saved their marriage. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, that, uh, you were able to participate in, and that you're involved with them now. Um, so maybe there's a song in there, a song about helping, helping marriages or, or, or the retrovi theme song, maybe. <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely in the work. One of the things that I, uh, when they asked me to come on board, uh, for retrovi New England and provide this music, um, I write with a fellow who's in Indiana. His name is Adam Trudell. And uh, he's my best friend and co-writer on a bunch of my songs. At least two of the songs I gave you, uh, he co-wrote. Mm-hmm. And um, he and I were talking about my, my experience at Retrovi. And I said, you know, I really do want to write a song. I think there's some great songs that are already in the Retrovi program. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that I, that's that's kind of I think I want to put my spin on it and see what I can come up with. So that's the next thing in the pipeline is uh, oh, good. to try to see if we can write a good retrovice song. Good, good. And good. at least get people understand. I mean, that's some of the things that we struggle with on the retreat side of things is, you know, you see struggling marriages all the time and just people don't know about the program. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we struggle with trying to get the information and the idea of what this program does out to people. Right. So hopefully this is going to work. Hopefully it'll, it'll work. Um, absolutely. Mike, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I, I know it's some, not easy sometimes to share uh, really personal uh, things with others, but thank you. And, and, uh, and thank you for your music. And I'm really looking forward to, to some of the retrovi music because uh, th- that would be good music and also important messages to share with others. So uh, thank you for what you do, Mike. And, and thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's a pleasure being with you. And uh, I hope you continue with success in your ministry work. Thank you. Um, you can learn more about Mike Boucher and book him for your event at his website, musicalmike.net. And you can learn more about Retrovi at their website, helpourmarriage.org. And if you want to listen to this interview again or to hear the rest of the program, go to eslmedia.org slash podcast. Here now to take us out is Mike Boucher with his single, Adoration. Come you sinners, poor and weary, we can listening to Mike Boucher with his single, Adoration. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Be sure to visit our website at eslmedia.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Last week was a historic week for the Indigenous people of Canada. After four hours of meetings with Indigenous delegates from the three main organizations representing the Inuit, the Métis, and the First Nations, 
Pope Francis offered an apology for the deplorable conduct of members of the Catholic Church that wounded indigenous children for the abuse they suffered and for the lack of respect shown for their identity, their culture, and their spiritual values. To help us explore the significance of this apology, I am now joined by Graydon Nicholas. He's the former Lieutenant Governor of New Brunswick and is now the Chancellor of St. Thomas University in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Graydon, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for being with us today. It's great to be here. Now, I didn't say in the introduction, but you are Indigenous. Um, you are also Catholic. So what was going through your mind all last week? Well, first of all, I guess it was a great week. Uh, and I was, uh, as I listened to news releases, first of all, of the Inuit who first met and then the Métis and ultimately the representative of the First Nations with Pope uh, Francis. And then I said, well, I wonder what's going to happen on Friday. And uh, so that's what I was concentrating on and praying a lot for a good results. And, uh, and uh, I think many people are happy with this. Some aren't happy with it. And many are saying it did not go far enough. So, so um, we did get the apology. I think that that's what everybody was thinking throughout the week as well. Will, will there be an apology? Um, what did you think? Was it enough? Was it not enough? Was it the right words? Well, first of all, I think before I answer that question fully, Peter, you know, first of all, there are beautiful statements that are included in the Pope's speech. Number one, he refers to the elders mm -hmm. and the significance of the role that elders play, which would involve, of course, the seven generations in our particular uh, mindset that we have to think that far ahead yeah. because six, genera six generations ago, our leaders thought of us. So I think that is what is crucial. And of course, within the particular uh, of advice and, and the wisdom of our elders is to bring in our spiritual values, our spirituality. And I think the Pope has recognized the significance of that mm -hmm. and the damage that resulted when residential schools, in fact, were created uh, by the federal government along with the Christian churches. And in particular, our case, in our case, the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. He also referred to the earth a lot. And, you know, this statement of referring to the earth as right. land that should be protected echoes what he said in Bolivia in 2015. Mm -hmm. When I read that statement, he said Mother Earth at least six times. So he knows the concept of indigenous people then with respect to land and that all that comes from the land has to be a, sort of like a stewardship and, and protection of it. Thirdly, of course, he also talks about the, uh, the significance of uh, trying the woundedness that was there, mm. uh, the harm that was done. And I think when he heard the voices and saw the indigenous representatives there, struggling even with what they were saying the pain it had caused intergenerationally and he recognizes the inter intergenerational damage that has been done so all those things are in there uh, so i as i said it's a good start he expressed sorrow he asked for forgiveness uh in particular for the ones who were um, uh the ones who, like he says the ones who were the educators yeah this talks about the priests and the nuns who were affiliated with the residential schools and so I and but the other thing is, is all this that happened to indigenous children communities is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I think that is where you begin and to say, mm -hmm. OK, what in fact were the teachings of Jesus? I think we're forgetting a lot of the biblical references that are that I see within this statement. Uh, 
And so it's a beginning. But mm -hmm. also, I think the Pope didn't quite refer to the damage in terms of the, the papal bulls that existed before Europeans came to North America, well, American soil. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, how uh, a Pope of the day could actually divide the world for the benefit of the of the uh, uh, Spaniards and the Portuguese. I mean, right. that was mighty generous of the Pope to do that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for us, our it's our creator who gave us this land as a gift. But what's interesting, a lot of people are saying, well, the Pope didn't say enough to say, uh, condemn the papal bulls. Mm -hmm. The earlier ones actually were uh, repealed by the Pope Paul III of the day in 1537. And a lot of, believe me, a lot of Catholics, bishops, priests, probably even cardinals, don't even know what that document said. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's important, I think, to realize that. And, and I think he's talking about specific actions that will take place from here on in within the church and within our indigenous communities, our first our indigenous communities, I should say, which include the Inuit, you know, as well as the First Nations right, and the church. And I think that path of reconciliation is still going to be along, but right. it's it's a start. It's the first step. Uh, uh, like the Chinese proverb says, a journey begins with the first step. Yeah. And so I think that is what's important, uh, the way I see it. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, and uh, if I can just uh, add another thing before I go yeah, to you. Yeah, for sure. He also referred to the grandmother. In this yeah. case, St. Anne was a grandmother, of course, of Jesus. And in the East Coast here, in the early uh, evangelization that occurred, there was great stress about St. Anne de Beaupre because the early missionaries realized that the Mi'kmaq and the Willistawik people and the Pasquaquati people had great reference for the grandmother and that the grandmother plays a very vital role. So this is how then they brought it in. And he brings that in as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a reminder of what uh, was said by Pope John Paul II in September of 1984, when in fact he visited the shrine of our St. Dan de Beaupre and met with indigenous leaders there. So in me, in, he brings this in. The other thing I think is because he says the message is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Pope John Paul II in 1984 uh, said that Christ in his own body was Indian. In mm -hmm. this case, we'd have to say indigenous now to yeah. include the other people. So that fundamental doctrine of the, of the Catholic faith that you and I are part of is important for our people. And Pope John Paul II also reaffirmed the, the document that Pope Paul III issued in 1537. So I am hoping that in the future, when he comes here, he in fact is reminded of these earlier statements of Pope John Paul II and then build on it. That, mm -hmm. that I think is what's crucial. Uh, in my opinion, anyway. So uh, no, absolutely, and and you're right. I think we focus too much on on the words of apology and not look at the full document, uh, which people can find on our website, somedia.org. Um, he has said that he's coming to Canada. You mentioned the importance of the land. Why is it so important that the apology needs to take place on Canadian soil, on Indigenous land here? Because this is where the harm took place. This is where the hurt took place. This is where uh, what I call evangelization went amok. In other words, the, the priests, the nuns, and all the other people who were involved with residential schools forgot what the early message of Jesus Christ was. When you look at the Acts of the Apostle, I mean, I look at this chapter 10, which says Christ is for everybody. Yeah. So he, Christ would have been for us as well. 
And you know, one of the things in the East Coast here, Pedro, that they said is when they came to explain, they had to, in fact, convince the Mi'kmaq and the Wilster we become Catholic. They said the words they use is, when did Christ become indigenized? When did he become an Indian? Well, we're talking about incarnation, right? Mm -hmm. That's the thing. So when did Jesus become one of us? So that is how they culturally connected then. Now, why subsequent uh, religious leaders in, in the ecclesial part of our church, as well as the nuns, where that message was forgotten, it was, it, it's sad. It's terrible, really. Yeah. So the, I, you have to remind them. And whenever I meet with church leaders, believe me, I tell them that there were errors made. And it's nice to be remorseful. But how are the new seminarians, how are new convents teaching their followers of this, of this gospel of Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. And so I think this is, uh, you know, the Jewish people talk about atonement, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, how about our people? What is our atonement yeah. that, that has to be expressed by the, by the Pope? And the Pope does speak for the church. And uh, a lot of Catholics may not like what he said. But that's really because they don't understand the history of this. That's part of that education that I think you've, I've heard you mention before. And I think it's, <laughs> we need to open our eyes and start opening our hearts and learning about that history as well as we begin this journey. One last question. What do you think you're going to be doing on the Feast of St. Anne July this year? Well, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, actually, interestingly enough, Indigenous Sunday is celebrated on the last Sunday of the month of June. Indigenous people gather at Shrine of St. Anne de Beaupre from the East Coast, the Mi'kmaq, Ulastavuik, Passamaquoddy, as well as the Indigenous people in Quebec, Eastern Ontario, and in New England states. So mm -hmm. that's where I'm hoping to be. Good. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure if where, well, we're not sure yet, I guess, where, what the Pope's itinerary maybe is. The, maybe the Pope will join you there on that date. Well, if he does, I'll be his altar boy. <laughs> I'll, we'll make sure he knows that. I'm glad you're doing this because I think there are a lot of our people who are hurting across this country. And it's intergenerational. And I see that every day. And it's sad to see many of our Catholic Indigenous people not going to church anymore. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's a lot that has to be done. And it won't be done just with the one visit. There has to be then in place a journey together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to say, okay, how do we, it reminds me of the Emmaus walk. If you remember what happened after yes. the resurrection, well, yes. these people are walking, they, they're in sorrow, pain, they don't know what happened, but then Jesus comes in their midst and teaches them and reminds them of, of who he is. Mm -hmm. And walks with them. Yeah. And walks with them. Yeah. And then it's only at the breaking of bread that they recognize them. Yeah. And then they turn right around and walk back to, to uh, where it happened. To you know? where it, yeah. Great. And thank you so much for sharing your, your thoughts with us today and for all the work that you have done. And I know the work that you're going to continue doing as we, as we journey together as brothers and sisters, as you said. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome and wish everybody well. Graydon Nicholas is the former Lieutenant Governor of New Brunswick. He's the Chancellor of St. Thomas University in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And he is one of the many Indigenous voices that we're featuring throughout the year on the Sultanite Hour. You can listen to the others at eslmedia.org podcast. Here now is Marie Miller with Brave New Step from her album, Little Dreams. Oh, 
paralyzing fear keeps me standing on ground I know is no longer safe and I can feel the shake in this foundation telling me that I just can't stay I can't stay here I don't have the answers I wish that I had at the end of these questions is one brave new step and I don't have tomorrow just one more deep breath at the end of my sorrow is one brave new step. step from her album Little Dreams. Now we last heard from Marie Miller in October 2019 when she had just released her last album Little Dreams. Marie has been around for about 10 years now and I know that I'm not alone in saying that we love her music, her blend of folk, country, pop, love the mandolin. Um, and as we know, the last two years have been difficult for a lot of artists, but Marie's been working on a new album and so it's really good to have a chance to catch up. Marie, It's good to see you. Welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. So how are you? What, what, what were the last two years like? Yeah. So actually, I think when we uh, last hung out in 2019, October, I had released the singles, but the full album came out March 27th of 2020. Okay. Which, yes. And I do not have a marketing degree, but I can tell you 
that is not the best day to release an album. <laughs> no, uh, no. So yes. So we're coming up to about two years since the release of Little Dreams. And I've been able to actually release uh, several singles, uh, a couple originals and a couple covers that you're mm -hmm. going to hear. And, and uh, it's been uh, definitely a challenge. So I consider myself more of an entertainer than an artist. I love to be in front of people. I love to be traveling uh, mm -hmm. and being on stage. It's really a home for me. Yes. And uh, so I think for some artists, they almost enjoyed uh, to some extent the, the time to be artists and to be just sitting in their rooms and writing and, and, mm -hmm. and being moody and musing and all these different things. And I just don't have that personality. I'm very sanguine. I was, I was going to ask you about that because I mean, I know that you, I mean, you, you probably, you have, you have been maybe thinking about the album, but you're just starting to write now. You didn't take the two years to be, as you said, musing and be introspective and, and writing. Um, Cause like you do home show, like you go into people's living rooms and do shows. Like that's what you like doing. Right. Exactly. So I took a different approach and I actually toured a lot more than most people uh, in the sense that I did a lot of these at the beginning shows where we only played outside and we were 10 feet away from everybody. And it would sometimes just be a family um, that we I would perform for. And it, maybe I'd have my band. A lot of times it was just me or one other person. Wow. Um, so I did a lot of that. I did uh, quite a bit of the online shows at the beginning, um, but just continued as much as possible to, to perform because that's just where my heart is. And, and really it's taken um, a lot more pushing for me to write under this circumstance, but God is good and has given me inspiration, but it does not come as easily when I'm not moving. Interesting. That's, that's very different than most people I speak to. So are, are things back to normal for you now ish? It's about 70%, I would say. Uh, my Catholic uh, performances are pretty much back to normal. Um, I also do a lot of uh, just regular theaters and uh, festivals and things. Um, those are now just coming up. So so there's less less to do. There's a, um, but, but it's, you know, and even I've always, every year for the last few years, I've performed in, in Germany and I yeah. was in Denmark. So not doing those things too, no. uh, you know, that takes a couple of weeks out of your year that I would be doing. Uh, so it's not a hundred percent, but it's getting there. Wow. Well, that's good. And I think it's getting there for, for most of us as things start reopening and we start traveling. Um, so you just gave us a little bit of a, a, the secret to Marie Miller uh, compositions that you need to be out and about and, and doing stuff and meeting people. Um, so, so how did the process for this new album that you're just starting to write now, how did that process begin? Yes. Yeah, so it began um, through uh, being inspired by sacred poetry. So I had a little more time to read uh, and to, to study. Uh, and I fell into a, a you know, kind of this interest in, in sacred poetry, the metaphysical poetry of like George Herbert, um, John Donne, all the way up mm. to T.S. Eliot. Uh, and there were some just moments in those poems that were breathtaking. Wow. So at first I thought, well, maybe I'll just set music to all these poems. Um, and then it evolved to more of a inspired by. Um, and so this is actually going to be my first strictly sacred music uh, and I don't say sacred music in the traditional 
church sense, but sacred in the writing, uh, in the lyrics, and will be religious. Uh, you know, before, as you know, it's been a mix. Like I'll have songs about friendships and re relationships and, and then songs about our mm -hmm. Lord. This is really strictly for him. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I, I always thought, I mean, it's interesting that you said that you, you see yourself as a performer first. I see you as a, as a musician first, not so much as a songwriter, not that you're not a good songwriter by all means. I don't mean that, but so do you usually start with lyrics or with words? Is that sort of where your inspiration comes from or, or is it sometimes the other way around that the music comes first? Mm. Like when you're reading these poems that you kind of hear the music in your head, how does that work for you? Yes. Usually I see a line, um, you know, for instance, there's a, uh, a poem called um, uh, uh, Easter Wings by George Herbert. And he says uh, in it, the fall has furthered the flight in me. And I thought, wow, that's really beautiful. Is that, you know, uh, when we ride on the wings of Easter, um, that our fall, uh, you know, has furthered our flight because uh, no matter how fall, far we fall, the Lord comes and he swoops us up and we ride on the, on the wings of Easter. So I go, oh, that's really cool. So I only just took that little part, even though it's a, you know, a big poem. And I, so I heard the music in my head just for that one line. Uh, right. How I do it this way. So then, as you said, so instead of setting, taking a whole poem and setting it to music, you've, you've been inspired by particular parts of the poems or maybe the whole idea of the poem. And then that concept becomes a song, correct? Exactly. And, and also works of literature. So there's a song okay. called Till We Have Faces, which is about C.S. Lewis's book, um, which is a le little less popular, uh, but a wonderful book called Till We Have Faces. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, just kind of uh, uh, stealing a little bit from these incredible <laughs> writers and, uh, and taking it and bringing it to maybe a generation that knows less about these things. So then, so, so, so that's where the the process begins with that inspiration, that line or that poem or that title. And then do you, do you work at it? Do you like, cause it's a craft, right? So you actually have to perfect it or do you take it to prayer? Like how does, how does that work for you? How, what is that part of the process like? Yeah. So I get, yeah, there's definitely a lot of tweaking in particular with this song. Um, I've also done a little bit of co-writing, which I will do a lot more of, but um, okay. Prayer wise, I don't, it's, it's a good idea to actually bring <laughs> each song to prayer. I more say, God, help me write well today or help me do. Right, that. right. Okay. No, that's yeah, fair. Things for me. But I should, I should, I should probably just say, Lord, what do you think about this song? I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, I mean, you're probably, I mean, you're probably praying every day anyway. And, and, and as, as these thoughts kind of inspire you, you can't help but bring those to prayer just because it's kind of what's moving you at the time, like where you are at, the, at that moment. So I, I think in that sense, it, it would work. Um, do you, so, so you, you've just started writing, you are envisioning a whole album. Do you have a sense of how many songs it's going to be? Are all the songs already have a place or you're just kind of thinking, I hope that I'm going to have seven, 10 songs here. Uh, how do you plan for an album? Yeah, so I want to have just the best songs possible. So it may be just a seven song um, album. I'm not sure. Um, what I would like to do is have a uh, 
a book that's accompanied by it. Oh, I love um, because, that. Yeah, because the, these songs are a lot, they're, they're, there's a lot going on. And uh, I like to blog and I like to write and I've written for different books and I, I just really enjoy that. And I thought this is the right album to have a book that's accompanied by it or that can stand on its own. Like, I don't want it to be, you have to have heard the music right. to understand the book, but I think that it's going to be so stories um, of my life and of different uh, uh, situations that uh, will be related uh, to, to these songs. Yeah, that's a great idea. I look forward to that actually. I, I, uh, cause I, I, I appreciate the, the coming together of, of word the word. I mean, music is, of course, music does what music does best, but there's something about the word too that has power on its own. Um, I really look forward to this album, Marie, and, and I hope that we can do what we did last time and, and sneak some tracks on this show before you release it. Um, and I'm and I'm kind of glad that we're getting a chance to play some more songs from Little Dreams, because as you said, you've released it in the middle of a pandemic, so maybe we need to get more people Um <laughs> Um, listening to those tracks so it's so good to to connect with you and, and catch up and i'm glad you're doing well and uh, i really look forward to this music that's coming down awesome you can learn more about marie miller and purchase her music at her website mariemillermusic.com if you missed any part of our conversation or you want to listen to it again just head on over to our website slmedia.org podcast and here now to take us out is Marie Miller with Wayfaring Stranger from her album, Little Dreams. I am a poor wayfaring stranger Journeying through this world of woe But there's no sickness, no toil, no danger In that great land in which I go listening to Marie Miller with Wayfaring Stranger from her album Little Dreams and that brings us to the end of this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour remember to come see us our website is eselmedia.org that's where you can find out all about Essel Media and what we do in particular that's where you can learn all about the indigenous delegation that went to Rome and also the papal visit and find other resources on these topics and the work of the Catholic Church with indigenous people if you hear anything on this program and you want to comment or just to let us know that you like the show, reach out to me. You can find me on all social media platforms and you can email me, pedro at esomedia.org. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I know my way.
rough and steep But beautiful fields lie just before me As God's redeemed, their vigils keep I'm going there to see my Savior I'm going 